Bethlehem must have been a good place. Here is a community upholding not merely the letter of the law, but the spirit of it, a community of big-hearted people, a community steeped in kindness, pity, tenderness, mercy, grace, love, commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, all wrapped up together, strong, steadfast, unchanging, unconditional, and that in a time of spiritual barrenness. What a community to live in. felt some bitter blows. Famine came to Bethlehem and she and her husband Elimelech uprooted and moved to Moab. But then in Moab Elimelech died and so did her two sons Malon and Kilion. They were married to Moabite women but they had no children. So Naomi has been left alone, a widow in a strange land to fend for herself. And she returned to Bethlehem. A broken woman. She said, do not call me Naomi to the women who welcomed her back. Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Everything looked dark and hopeless, but now just about two months on, that is changing. Ruth, one of her two daughters-in-law from Moab has come back to Bethlehem with her and she's promised to stay with Naomi and Ruth has been working hard to provide for them both. And Ruth has met a man, Boaz. He's a good man and he's well off and he's been very kind to Ruth and since he showed up we've been hoping that he and Ruth might get together. Well, now we know that Boaz does want to marry Ruth and secure Naomi's property. All he needed was a little bit of encouragement. So Naomi came up with a clever plan, a risky plan, but a clever plan to give him that encouragement. She told Ruth, spruce yourself up, go down to the threshing floor, and after Boaz has had his dinner and bedded down for the night, go and pull back the blankets and climb in beside him, and he'll tell you what to do could all have gone horribly wrong, but Ruth did it anyway. And it went just the way Naomi hoped it would. Boaz saw what Ruth did as a symbolic act by which she was asking him to take her under his wing, to care for her, to protect her, to provide for her, to take her as his bride. 
And although he wasn't under any obligation to do it, Boaz said he would. But for one thing. Chapter 3, verse 12. Now it is true, I am a close relative, he said. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform that duty for you, I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Uh-oh. Just when we thought Naomi's troubles were at an end, just when we thought we had come to the happy ever after bit, there's a spanner in the works. That's where we left the story last week. It's not that Boaz is reluctant to marry Ruth, but he's an honourable man and he wants what's best for her. He could marry her in spite of the other guy, but even if he does, now that this other guy is in the frame, he won't legally be able to redeem Naomi's property or produce an heir for Elimelech. He can't do that unless this other relative relinquishes his responsibility and right. Well, will he do that? Let's see. We're going to read now from chapter 4 and verses 1 to 12. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the near kinsman of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the near kinsman, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. And the near kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was an attestation in Israel. Therefore the near kinsman said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and to all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of this place. You are my witnesses." this day. And all the people who were at the gates and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tabor bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman." 
Act 4 takes place at the gate of Bethlehem. The gate of any town was the way in and the way out, obviously, and pretty well everybody went through there every day. On top of that, the gate of Bethlehem was associated with a well. It was where the whole town went to get their water. So it was a busy place, lots of coming and going at the gate. But the gate was an important place for reasons other than that. With the square nearby, it was the town meeting place, a place for gatherings and rituals of all kinds. Business was transacted at the gate, and it was at the gate that the elders of the town gathered to deal with the administrative and legal matters of the town and to dispense justice. Boaz goes to the gate and sits down, which means he must have been an elder, and behold, it just so happened, just the right moment, along comes just the right person. The very man Boaz is wanting to see. God is still working behind the scenes. So Boaz says, come aside, sit down here, friend. Now, actually, friend doesn't quite do it as far as translation goes. In Hebrew, Boaz calls him Poloni Almoni, which is kind of rhyming nonsense and maybe a little bit derogatory. And remember, names are very important to Old Testament people. So name calling was a big deal. Boaz calls him Poloni Almoni, and that, along with the fact that he doesn't give this relative a proper name at all, is maybe a hint at the kind of character the relative is known to be. We don't want our Ruth to have to marry this guy. He's the villain of the story. So he came aside and sat down, and he, that is Boaz, took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Boaz first makes sure that a properly constituted legal forum is going to witness what's about to happen. He wants this to be all above board and legal and binding. And when everything is in order, he lays it out for Poloni Almoni. He said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold a piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech, and I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. Now, that's all maybe a bit confusing to us. But basically, here's what's going on. Naomi has a piece of land that she inherited from her husband, Elimelech. That was considered his part in the promise, the promise that God made to the children of Israel. And Naomi has sold it. Now, she can't have sold it outright because you weren't allowed to do that in Israel. But if somebody fell in hard times, he could sell the right to use his land for an agreed number of years. That was allowed, and you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 25. Now, the land could always be bought back again or redeemed by the original owner. They had the right to do that, and the price that they would pay to redeem it would depend on how many years of the original agreement were left to run. And if the original owner couldn't afford to buy back the land, 
then the right to redeem it's transferred to his or her next of kin. So Boaz is putting this to Poloni Almoni. It's your right to redeem this piece of land. Do you want to do it? Now, bear in mind, he hasn't made any effort to redeem it yet. And why would he? Because if Naomi dies without an heir, he's going to inherit it anyway as the next of kin, and then it will become part of his own family's inheritance. But now, with Boaz turning up and showing an interest, well, he'd better get in there quick, because if Boaz marries Ruth and redeems the land, when Naomi dies, the land is going to belong to Boaz's family. So Poloni Almoni jumps in and he says, okay, I'll redeem it. Uh-oh, we don't want him to redeem it. That would spoil everything, because we want Boaz to be the one, don't we? And all because Boaz is insisting on doing the right thing. You know, sometimes it looks risky to do the right thing. Sometimes you might be tempted not to do the right thing. Sometimes it looks like doing the right thing might cause more problems for you. But if you remember that God is always in the background, working, always, that God is doing something amazing, that God is going to work it out in His way, if you remember that, then there's no reason to be afraid of doing the right thing, whatever your circumstances because God is in control. You can always risk doing what's right. You do what's right and leave the consequences to God. But that's by the way. So, Almoni Poloni says, okay, I'll redeem it, but that's when Boaz tells him about the catch. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, he said, you will acquire Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. Boaz is publicly calling on Poloni to take on the family responsibility of Lever. We've talked about that before. To marry Ruth and father a child who will inherit the estate of Elimelech. To keep Elimelech's name and part in the promise alive. Now, Boaz isn't appealing to the letter of the law. He's appealing more to the spirit of the law, the intention behind the law. He's appealing to God's intention that his people shouldn't be selfish people, that their community should be a community of love where people look out for each other, a community bathed in hesed. And isn't this another example of the kind of Boaz? Neither man is legally bound to marry Ruth and secure the land for Naomi and for Elimelech's family line, but Boaz is prepared to do it. Is Poloni Almoni? Poloni Almoni quickly reveals the kind of man he is. The close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, or I cannot redeem it. He won't do it. Well, he would have nothing to gain and everything to lose, you see. Because if he redeems the property and marries Ruth and produces an heir for Elimelech, and Boaz has made clear that that would be the purpose of the marriage, if he does that, the property will go to the first child he has by Ruth and it will be lost to his own family line. So, it's clear that this guy's been driven by self-interest. 
Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he took off his sandal. Poloni Almoni tells Boaz, buy it for yourself. He takes off his sandal, he hands it to Boaz, and he limps off, and that's the last we see of him. He disappears from the story, and his name is lost to history, and we all say, Yabu, I spit in your face, Poloni Almoni. Ooh, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Deuteronomy 25, 7-10. If a man does not want to take his brother's wife, that's if he refuses to act as lever, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, No, I do not want to take her, Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So it shall be done to the man who will not build his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal removed. Strong, but biblical. Poloni's gone, but he has served his purpose. By contrast, he has highlighted the good character of Boaz. By contrast, he has shown us another face of Hesed. It's the opposite of what he's doing. It's the opposite of looking out for your own interests. Selfishness, self-interest is not part of how God wants things to be. And he has brought to our attention just how important it is to God that his people behave with hesed towards one another. Hence the strong condemnation and the strong language used in disapproval of those who do not. Poloni Almoni is what your literary types call a foil. He's a character in the story who makes another look better by contrast, in much the way that Orpah was a foil to highlight Ruth's hesed toward Naomi in chapter 1. Anyway, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate, your witnesses this day. Boaz calls the elders and all the people to witness that he has bought the rights to the property that Naomi has inherited and that he will marry Ruth and perpetuate the name of Elimelech. He's making it crystal clear to the whole town that he's not acquiring the land for himself, There can be no misunderstanding and no changing of his mind. He's committed. He is irrevocably and legally completing the transaction. And the people who were at the gate said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, 
and may you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Paris. They all said, we're witnesses and we're giving our blessing to this. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah, they both were barren until God opened their wombs and then they became important and highly honored people in Israel's history. May Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. May you have lots and lots of children. May you prosper and become famous. And may your house be like the house of Perez, our ancestor. I don't know if you remember that story. Jacob's son, Judah, had three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. A woman named Tamar married Ur, but then he died, leaving Tamar a widow. So Tamar was given to Onan. It was the Leviterate marriage thing again. But then Onan died as well. Shelah was still a boy, so Judah asked Tamar to wait until Shelah was grown up. But then, when Sheila was old enough, Judah didn't honor his promise, so Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute, tricked Judah, and got him to have a baby with her. And she had twin sons named Perez and Zerah. You can read all about that in Genesis 38. But there's another bit to the story of Perez. When the time came for Tamar to give birth to her twin boys, as she was giving birth, one of them, Zira, put his hand out and the midwife quickly wrapped a scarlet thread around his wrist. And then the hand was drawn back and Perez was born first. And God chose Perez to be the firstborn. Perez was the one who was to carry on the line of Judah the line through which, according to prophecy, the promise would be fulfilled, the promise that God had made to Abraham. So for the elders to say to Boaz, who was among the descendants of Perez, for the elders to say to Boaz, may your house be like the house of Perez, that was some blessing and a great honor. They were saying to him, may it be through your house and may it be that out of this marriage that the promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. Wow, some blessing. Bethlehem must have been a good place to live. Remember right away back to our first week when we talked about the background of this story and I told you that these were the days of the judges. Here is a community upholding not merely the letter of the law, but the spirit of it, here is the whole town taking delight in what Boaz is doing and giving it their blessing, and that in a day when there was great wickedness in the land and hardly anyone was walking in God's ways. Some place, Bethlehem. What a community that would have been to grow up in. A community of big-hearted people. A community steeped in Hesed. Kindness, pity, tenderness, loving kindness, mercy, grace, love, commitment, loyalty, faithfulness, all wrapped up together, 
strong, steadfast, unchanging, unconditional, loyal love, and that in a time of spiritual barrenness. What a community to live in. And Boaz, the more we see of him, the more there is to admire. A man of God, a kind man, a good and honorable man, a faithful man, a selfless man, a man of Hesed. And doesn't it stand out all the more when you put him alongside Poloni Almoni? Now, don't get me wrong. Poloni wasn't an especially bad man, as villains go. He didn't do anything outstandingly wicked, so far as we know. He was just like most of the people you bump into every day. He was concerned about his future and his family's future. And hey, can you imagine him anyway going home to the wife and saying, oh, I bought a field today and you'll never guess what came with it. He put his family's interests and his own interests first. And don't we all do that when we have to make a business decision? When we think about how much we're going to give to what? When we're dividing up our time. And it's not so bad by our standards to look out for your own interests, is it? Not so bad until Boaz comes along, shows us a different way. Very attractive, isn't it? Hesed. Right from he first showed up. I mean, you've been thinking, some catch Boaz, haven't you? Isn't that right, girls? You know, even you married woman, be honest, you're thinking to yourselves, how come I ended up with Polonia Almoni? And you men, don't you like to imagine that you're like Boaz? There's something very special, there's something very attractive about Hesed. There's something attractive about Boaz as a man of Hesed and about Ruth, a woman of Hesed, and about Bethlehem, that community that is steeped in Hesed. And how it stands out against the backdrop of ordinary life, the self-centeredness, the loneliness, the harshness of the world. So, Hesed, it's what every girl wants, it's what every man wants, if they would only admit it. People have done research to find out which churches are growing these days, what people are looking for in a church. And you know what's the big thing that stands out? Community, belonging, love, faithfulness, selflessness, big-hearted people. Hesed. Hesed is something you see that everybody's heart longs for. Hesed is something that we all thirst for in this rotten world where there's precious little of it. Wouldn't it be great to be a man or a woman of Hesed? And wouldn't it be great to be a church community that's steeped in Hesed? But it is costly. Ruth left her home in Moab. The people of Bethlehem called for a blessing on Boaz that put him and his family before them and their families. Boaz sacrificed his own interests to redeem Naomi's property and marry Ruth. It's costly. Poloni Almoni wouldn't do it. For him, it was too costly. 
It's costly to be a man or a woman of Hesed. You've got to give up self-interest, you see. Hesed, real Hesed, goes beyond the law. It's more than doing just what's right by the rules. You can apply the law to the highest standard. You can apply the law strictly and to the letter, but it's still not Hesed. You see, Hesed is an attitude. It's an approach to people and to the world around you. It's a, it's a heart matter. And the good people of Bethlehem seem to have got that. None of what happened in Bethlehem that day was dictated by the law. They didn't break the law. They went beyond the law. According to the law, neither Boaz nor Poloni were under any obligation to marry Ruth and redeem Naomi's property, but the elders of Bethlehem and Boaz, they got it. They understood what the law is about. They understood the spirit of the law. They understood God's intention behind the law. God's intention to build communities that are completely steeped and soaked in self-denying Hesed. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the spirit behind the law and the summary of it all. There are people, Christian people, who say it doesn't work. They say you can't do that, not in today's world. You've got to look out for your own interests. People will use you. People will abuse your kindness. They'll take advantage. They say you can't run a business that way. You've got to think about the profits. But do you see, and, and here's the thing that makes it possible. When you're living under the shadow of God's wings, when you know that God, almighty, do anything, unstoppable God is at work in the background all the time, doing amazing things for his people and looking out for their interests, just like he was looking out for Naomi's interests, even when she didn't know it. When you know that, then you can afford to take the risk of doing what's right. You can afford to be a man or a woman of Hesed. You can risk doing the right thing. You don't have to look out for yourself because God is looking out for you. So, two men, two very different men. Boaz and Poloni Almoni, a man of God, and just another Joe Bloggs. The challenge now is what kind of a man or woman are you? Are you a Boaz or just another Poloni Almoni? Think about that. Think carefully because your first answer is probably going to be wrong. You see, we all have three ways of thinking about ourselves. When we're asked to think what kind of a person are you, the first thoughts that come to mind are the kind of person we want to be. And we say to ourselves, that's me. But then if you think about it a little bit more, you'll think, well, actually, that's not me. I'm not there yet. I'm not the person I want to be. I still have some faults. And you'll acknowledge those few faults that you're prepared to admit to yourself 
And the person that you want to be will give way to the person that you think you are. But then if you really think on beyond that, and maybe even ask a few people you trust to help you, eventually you will get to the person you really are. So think hard. Are you a Boaz? Or are you just another Polonia Almoni? And are you building a church? And are you raising a family? And are you building a community like Bethlehem? A community that's steeped in Hesed. This story is not about Boaz. Boaz isn't here as an example for us to follow, not really. He is an example to follow, but that's not the main reason he's here. The story is about God and his Hesed. And it's about what it's like living in the shadow of his wings. God is a God of Hesed. And Boaz is showing us what Hesed is like so we can understand better what God is like. This is about a God who gives himself for the sake of his people, a God whose Hesed way outshines the Hesed of Boaz, a God who came into the world and stood among the people who rejected him and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Do you find it attractive? Yes, it. Won't you come to him? Won't you come under the shadow of his wings, the shadow of the wings of such a lovely, attractive God, a God who loves you like that. Let's pray. Father, what a lovely picture we have seen this morning of a community of your people, faithful people, not just people who keep rules, but people who are faithful to the very spirit of your law people who love you with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and their neighbours as themselves. Oh, Father, it's such a beautiful, attractive thing. And it's what we long for for ourselves. We pray, Lord, that by your help, we would more and more make our homes, our church, our community, places like that, that your glory might be put on display and that others might see what an attractive God you are. We pray in Jesus' name.